Why do we believe in a God who allows sufferings and pain in our lives? You know, some people cannot believe in God. And the reason that they give is because he allows sufferings. Some people lost their faith in God because of difficult times, pains, and sufferings that they went through in life. They ask themselves a genuine question. Why does God allow sufferings? Does God really love me? Why should I believe in a God who allows me to go through pain? And some of the pains that we go through in life could be the death of our loved ones. Some of us we started to question our faith. When we lost our mom, we lost our dad, we lost our parent, we lost our child, or we lost our aunt, you lost your uncle, you lost your grandpa, or your grandma. And all these questions, they start to come up. Now you start to wrestle with these questions deep down inside you. Some of us who started to question God during the pandemic. Some of us who start to question God when there are wars. When you see innocent killings in different cities, in different townships, in different places. So maybe you lost your job. And this is a job that you prayed God to give you. A year or two years later, you lose that job. Maybe you have been in that job for years. And you believe that God has blessed you with that job and you lost it. And you start to question yourself, why does God allow me to go through this? Maybe you lost your business. Some of us, maybe your, your husband left you and you are left there with the children. You don't know what to do. You don't know what next step to take. Maybe you lost your wife. And there are some few things that I want us to focus on. One of the things that we will focus on is the resurrection of Christ. The answer to all these questions is in the message of Easter. It's in the message of Easter. The message of Easter could not have been more relevant than the first event. Today, we'll go back to the basis and the origin of our faith, our Christian faith. Some of you were with me last week. We said our Christian faith did not start with the Bible. Our Christian faith did not start with the Bible. Our Christian faith started with an event. It started with an event, and this is the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That is how Christian faith that is how our Christian faith began. The events of the first Easter weekend were full of controversies. The events of the first Easter weekend were full of confusion. Those events were full of misunderstandings. Those events were full of betrayal. Those events were full of fear. Those events were full of denials. Those events were full of hopelessness. Those events were full of anger. Those events were full of resentment and regrets. Everybody was conf confused during that time. 
because their expectations were not met. The disciples were confused. You know, after Jesus is resurrected, in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, when he met with them, the Bible says, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, that's Acts chapter 1, verse 3. The Bible says, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was, was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. You know, after Jesus' resurrection, there are people who still did not believe in him. You remember I said, Jesus had thousands and thousands of disciples who were following him. But he only had 12 apostles. Those were the closest uh, inner circle, the closest friends. But after Jesus' resurrection, all those thousands who used to follow him, they fled, they ran away from him. In actual fact, by the time the Holy Spirit came, by the time the church started, by the time the church was birthed, there were only 120 of them in the room. Only 120 out of all those thousands. His disciples, they believed in him because of who he claimed to be. And we talked about this uh, last week, that they spent three and a half years. They journeyed with Jesus three and a half years. But their focus was on the reestablishment of the kingdom of Israel. That's what they were focusing on. Their faith was misguided. Their faith was misguided. And we see that in the way they started to ask and engage uh, Christ. When they started to ask him a question, so Lord, are you going to bring back the kingdom of Israel? And that's when Jesus said in verse 8, in Acts chapter 1, and he said, no, no, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. But, but for you, you will receive power. That's verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And I want you to be my witnesses. What is a witness? What's a witness? It's somebody who has observed, who has seen the event when it took place. And Jesus says to them, you will be my witnesses. And that is your responsibility. We have a lot of Christians with misguided faith. And that's why some of the questions that we ask, it's a reflection of our beliefs. It's a reflection of what we believe. And tonight I'm trying to correct some of those wrong belief systems through this Bible study. The purpose of the Bible study is for us to have the right perspective of who God is. And let's go back and start from the beginning. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. It's a key verse when it comes to what we're going to talk about today. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. The Bible says the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Verse 16. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. And verse 17 is the key. Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat its, free, its fruit, if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. 
you are sure to die. So what God is saying is, if you can do what I told you not to do, you're going to die. In short, if you sin, if you sin, then you're going to die. What is death? Death simply means separation. Separation of the spirit from the body. That is death. But death only can, can, can also mean the separation of man from God. And separation always results in pain. Hmm. We're getting somewhere here. Separation always results in pain. Every time we lose our loved ones, all of us, we are adults enough. We have lost someone who was so close to us. And it resulted in pain because we are separated. We've been separated from them. Every time there is separation, there is pain. And God says, if you sin, death will show up. If you sin, you allow death to be alive in you. You allow separation to take place. You allow pain to take place. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I want us to look at about three men here, three people. The first one that, that we look at is Job. Job in the Old Testament. If you look at Job, let's go to Job chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, there was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. And that man, let's look at who Job was, was blameless and upright. And one who feared God and shunned evil. Hmm. So Job was holy, was blameless. He lived right with God. He feared God. He shunned evil. He didn't do any evil thing. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. So he had 10 children, seven sons and three daughters. Also, his positions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. In other words, he was the richest man in that area. He had everything that we can think of. He had money. He had all the animals that we can think of. He had a very nice family, children, but he lived right with God. That's the most important part. He feared God. As we continue to read about the story of Job, the next few verses, they indicate that the devil or the angels of the evil one, the devil, Satan, he went to God and he asked for the life of Job. And the Bible says, God said you can touch everything, but don't touch his soul. Don't touch his life. And Job lost everything in one day. He lost his children. He lost the oxen. He lost the sheep. He lost the camels. And he lost his, I mean, everything that he possessed, all his money that he possessed. Now let's look at verse 20. John chapter 1, verse 20. I mean, Job chapter 1, verse 20. The Bible says, Then Job arose. He tore his robe and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground and worshipped. Hmm. You ask yourself, 
How do you worship God when you have lost everything? How do you worship God who allowed your children to die? How do you worship God who allowed your oxen to die? How do you worship God to allow your sheep to die, your camels to die? And you are a righteous man. You live right before God. But God still allows you to go through this pain, go through the sufferings. Verse 21, the Bible says, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return them. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 22, it's a key. Verse 22, the Bible says, he says, Bible says, in all this, hmm, in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Job did not blame God. He didn't blame God. He didn't blame God for all that has happened. Job never lost his faith in God because of his suffering and pain. He understood that God does not become God when things go well. Some of us, we, we have misguided faith. We believe God is good. God is a God who is good when things go well. When things don't go well, then we start to doubt God. Job did not have that kind of faith. God is still God when things go well. And when things do not go well, he is still God. He does not lose his Godhead just because things are not going well for us. The presence of adversity in our lives does not mean the absence of God. Pain and sufferings do not change who God is. And Job understood this principle very well. And that's why verse 22, the Bible says, in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong, or Job did not blame God. Let's look at the next uh, couple that I want us to look at. Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. The Bible says, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the uh, priestly order of Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. So we're talking about a couple here. And this couple, they were, they were priests. They were priests. They were serving God. You know, if it was today's language, maybe we'll say they were pastors. So you can see how dedicated they, they were to God. Verse 6, it says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. Oh, that is the key. They were righteous in God's eyes. They were careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. These were nice people. These were good people. Faithful before God. Serving God so faithful. Living right with God. They were not living in sin. Look at verse 7. But, but they had no children. Because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. And they were both very old. Hmm. Some people will say you, you go through pain and challenges because you are living in sin. And that's not always the case. The Bible is clear that Job was living right. The Bible is clear that Zachariah and Elizabeth were living right. But they did not have children. And I'm sure they were praying every day. But God did not bless them with children. 
And by the way, these are the parents of John the Baptist. Later, God was able to bless them with a child. But what I'm saying is, it's not because you have done something wrong when you go through some challenges in life. And I like verse 8. The Bible says in verse 8, one day Zechariah was saving God in the temple. For his order was on duty that week. So here we see Zechariah and Elizabeth. God has not answered their prayers for years. And the Bible says now they have reached a point where they were almost, they were actually old. We are not told of their years, but I'm sure they were above 60, maybe 70 or so. They were old. They were old. Although God did not answer their prayers, they did not stop serving God. That's, what, that's one thing that always challenges me. That even if God did not answer their prayers, they continued to serve God in the temple. The other person that I want us to look at is Paul. Paul, the apostle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul says, the Bible says, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. And Paul continued to say, he, say, he says, God, you know, I, I had a flesh, I mean, I had a thorn in my flesh. And scholars have tried to find out what was the flesh, what was the thorn in his flesh. Nobody knows up to now. Nobody knows what was the, the thorn in Paul's flesh. But there was something that was bothering him. It is something that was problematic to him. It's something that made him suffer every day. It's something that made him, that made him uncomfortable. He struggled with it. He struggled with that pain through his ministry. He suffered through his ministry. Let's look at verse 8. The Bible says, Three times, three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. And verse 9, he says, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Actually, other version says, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Verse 10, that is why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions. These are the things that Paul went through. He had his own weaknesses. He was insulted. He went through hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here we see Paul going through challenges and difficult times. But God says to him, don't worry. My grace is still with you. My grace is sufficient. And up to so far, we see people who suffered. People who went through pain. But still they continue to trust God. They continue to serve God, even in their pain. There must be something that they understood that we do not understand. When we ask the person, why, why do you believe in a God who allows pains? Why do we believe in a God who allows sufferings in our lives? That, is not, that was not their question because they understood God differently. 
They understood God differently. Let's look at Jesus Christ himself. As the last figure that I want to talk about. You know, Jesus is the great, he called himself the great I am. And like I said earlier, these disciples, they were following Christ not because of the miracles. They were not following Christ because of his teachings. They were not following Christ because his parables were good and were and easy to understand. No, actually some of the parables were so hard for them to understand. And until the apostles, they had to call him aside after he finished speaking. And they asked him, can, can we clarify that parable? Especially the one that you talked about, the sower and the seed. You talk about the beds and you talk about the wayside. You know. can, can you try to explain that again? Because even his disciples, they could not understand some of his parables and some of his teachings. But they kept on following him. And like I said, they followed him because of who he said he is. And Jesus presented himself as God incarnate, as God who, who decided to come down, the, the Emmanuel, God who became man. God who decided to, to leave heaven and he came down to earth and lived with us as human beings. And John records the seven I am's. These are the names of God. This, this, is the, this is the statement that God, that's how God introduced himself when he introduced himself to, to Moses. He said, I am who I am. I am, you know, it means Aye, Asha, Aye. I am who I am. And, and that name I am in the Jewish tradition, in the Hebrew tradition, it was reserved for God. Nobody would ever say I am because that was only reserved for God. They knew that as the name of God. And here comes Christ in John chapter 6. He says, I am the bread of life. He said, what? So you pray yourself to God? Are you saying you're God? He said, yes. I sustain and I provide for you. As if that is not enough. In John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. To a world that is lost, to the world that is in darkness, Christ says, I offer myself as a guide. And they could not take it anymore. And they wanted to arrest him because he prayed himself to God. In actual fact, he continues to say, before Abraham was, I am. At some point, he says, I am even bigger than this temple. And they look at that a gigantic, that big temple, and they say, he says, it's bigger than that? How can he do that? How can he say that? And Jesus continued in John chapter 10. He says, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus protects his followers. He's a shepherd. He protects the flocks from predators. Anytime when Jesus says, I am, what, what went through their minds is, he says he's God, Yahweh. He equates himself to God. And that's why they did not like him because he, he said he made himself God. To them, that was blasphemous. That's why they say he's blasphemous. And also he says he's the king of the Jews. Is he taking back the government? Is he taking over the government? And that is why. Even at his cross, they had to write, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. You know, they were mocking him. 
John chapter 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. Because Jesus cares for us. He says, cast your burdens unto me. Cast all your worries unto me, for I care for you. Brothers and sisters, our Heavenly Father watches over us. No matter what you are going through, God watches over you. In John chapter 14, verse 6, the very popular verse of Scripture, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the only true way to the Father. There is no alternative way. Jesus says, I am the true vine in chapter 15 of the book of John. If we abide in him, if we stay attached to him, we can ask for anything. As long as we stay fruitful and we stay alive in him, then we start to live a life of purpose, a life of fruitfulness, as long as we stay attached to him because he is a true vine. And every time Jesus says, I am, I am, it irritated them more. It irritated them more because they knew that that I am is the name of God. The last, the last one that made them become worse, they hated him more, is John chapter 11, after he resurrected, or when he came for the resurrection of Lazarus. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, just before he raised him, he said something which is very interesting. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And that was the key. That was the key. Because what he's saying is, death is not the end for those that are in Christ. He conquered the grave and he is the great I am. He's the great I am. And everybody followed him without understanding. So they expected Jesus to take over the government. They expected Jesus to be the Messiah. They expected Jesus to be the one who will conquer death. In other words, he will not die. He will not die. And that is why I said earlier, the, the events of that weekend, the events of the first Easter, confused almost everybody. They were disappointed that he did not do as he said he will do. He did not become the king of the Jews as they expected him to do. They felt like they, they made fools of themselves. And they lost the, their lives. They wasted their lives. They, they wasted a lot of time following him. And they said, let's go back and restart our lives afresh. They decided to start from where they left off. And we see people like Peter and his friends, they went back to, to their fishing business again. Other followers, they went back home. Remember, there were some, some of the, 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 the disciples, they went back home to Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. They went back home. During that time, during that weekend that Jesus died, when Jesus was crucified and buried, everything came to a standstill. They were not Christians, they were not believers. Even his own followers, his own disciples, they did not believe that Jesus will rise again. No, that's why they ran away. Even Mary and the other women who went to the tomb, they did not go there and expect a lively Jesus. They were expecting a dead Jesus. Because everybody expected Jesus to do 
what every deceased person do, that is to stay dead in the grave. There was no Messiah. And they said to themselves, if Jesus could not keep himself alive, how can he raise us up? So Jesus was not who he kept on claiming to be. He said he's the resurrection and the life. What was the point of keeping the, the Jesus ministry alive if the, if the owner of the ministry, the leader of the ministry is there? They were so disappointed. And some of them did not know what to tell their families when they went back home. Because they left everything. They left their business. They left their families. They left everything. They left their jobs. And they started following this man for three years. Three and a half years. Because they expected him to, be, to, to bring back the kingdom of Israel. And during that time, everything came to a halt. Everything came to a standstill. Brothers and sisters, the events of the first Easter weekend were full of confusion, misunderstanding, betrayal, fear, denials, hopelessness, anger, resentment, and regrets. Because when they looked at the whole situation, they saw a powerless king. You know, the first Easter, it brought confusion to their faith in Jesus. The sufferings. And the death of Jesus shattered all their hopes. How can the righteous Jesus suffer? He never sinned. And they started losing hope when he could not do what they expected him to do. He did not do what he said he will do. You know, I always say disappointment comes when people do what we did not expect them to do. All of us have been disappointed at some point. And they saw a weak king who will not defend himself from suffering. He was betrayed and he was arrested. And Peter, who, who was almost the deputy of Jesus, he denied him. He said, I don't know him. They saw Jesus being tried by Caiaphas, the high priest. They saw him being tried by Pilate the Roman governor. And finally they saw him being crucified. He died and was buried. I mean, his burial was the ultimate crushing of their hope. And his disciples, like I said, they followed him because of the terminology that he kept on using to introduce himself when he said, I'm Christ, I'm the Messiah. I'm the son of God. They were so convinced that he will never suffer or die because they believe that that's a kind of God. But God, how can God allow sufferings? They did not follow him because of the powerful sermons or teachings, but because of who he, he said he is, because of who they believed Christ was. They believed because they saw him suffer in the hands of the Romans. And the priests, when Jesus resurrected, that's when they started to believe in him again. Because they saw that this man, he suffered, he was in pain, but God rose him from the dead. And that made them believe. They believed because they saw Jesus suffer. They saw Jesus in pain. And that is the reason why 
You know, there was nothing that could that, that could threaten them after that. After they have seen this, the sufferings of Jesus, after they have seen Jesus being crucified, Jesus being spat on, everything that they have seen on Jesus. You know, they said we would rather die for this Jesus. That is why they could not be threatened by beatings. They could, be they could not be threatened by any pain after the resurrection of Jesus. They could not be threatened by sufferings or even death itself. Actually, most of them, they, they died for the kingdom. Some of them, like Peter, they were also crucified because they understood that believing in God does not stop suffering. You believe in God for eternal life. And Paul said something. Paul finally said, you know, something which is very important to us as Christians. He says, there is nothing that shall separate us from the love of God. In Romans chapter 8, from verse 36, it says, as it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for, for the slaughter. Verse 37, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38, and that is the key verse. It says, for I am persuaded. Persuaded means I'm convinced. May God help us to be Christians of conviction. Christians who are fully persuaded. Christians who have a full conviction that nothing can shake our faith. Paul says, for I am persuaded, I'm convinced nothing can shake my faith. I'm persuaded that neither death no life, no angels, no principalities, no powers, no things present, no things to come, no height, no depth, no any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. To me, that is the key of our Christian faith. Just because these things happen to us, they do not separate us from the love of God. They do not separate us from God. We still believe in that God, even when we go through these sufferings. Jesus, the Son of God, loved by God. I mean, historically, he was the perfect man who ever lived. But he suffered. We do not believe God because we will not suffer in this life. We do not believe that bad things never happen to good people. That is not true. Jesus was the best man who ever lived. Was the best man who ever lived. But bad things also happened to him. Sufferings also happened to him. Pain happened to him. We just celebrated this past weekend. Pain also happened to him. Suffering is a result of universal sin. We go back to Genesis where we started. It does not mean that God does not care. There is a direct correlation between universal sin and our suffering. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 is very clear. It says, for the wages of sin is death. It's death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Brothers and sisters, sufferings and death is a reminder that we live in a sinful world. Sufferings and death is as a result of the original sin. When sin entered the world, it opened doors 
for sufferings and death. It has nothing to do with the essence of God. It has nothing to do with the character of God. The consequences of sin is suffering and death or separation. Physical death and ultimate eternal separation from God. We believe that the worst possible thing happens to the best possible person. That's Jesus Christ. Does that mean that God does not care? No. We know that God cares for us. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7 is very clear. The Bible says, give all your worries and cares to God, for God cares about you. I like Romans chapter 8, verse 8. In the Bible says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Brothers and sisters, our hope is not in the lack or the stoppage of pain and suffering. That is not our hope. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Our hope is in eternal glory, not the stopping of sufferings in this world. The Bible says suffering will continue to increase. Go and read Matthew chapter 24. Read the chapter, Matthew chapter 24, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Our present sufferings are nothing as compared to our future hope. It is just, it's just a reminder that one day God will make everything new. If there's no pain and suffering in this world, then there's no need for the new world. There's no need for the new heavens and the new earth. Because the Bible promised that in the new heavens, in the new earth, there will be no more sickness. There will be no suffering. There will be no pain. There will be no separation. There will be no death. There will be no joblessness. There will be no divorce. In the new reality, not in this world. Not in this world. Jesus was the most righteous man, but he still suffered. There is no way in the Bible that we are promised that God will stop pain and suffering in this world. Our faith and our beliefs should not be misguided. It's only in the new world that God promises peace and tranquility. Not in this world. As I'm going to close, there are some few things that I want to highlight here. The first century Christians, the church founders, the first believers, those who witnessed the sufferings of Christ, they did not believe in Christ and God because of the lack of sufferings. They believed in God because they saw Jesus suffer. They saw Jesus in pain and they saw Jesus die and resurrect. They believed in Christ because they saw an innocent man suffer. Seeing a good man suffer and resurrect made them believe and trust in God more. To some of us, that's the opposite. The suffering that God allowed to happen to a good man led to the establishment or the foundation of our faith today. It led to the belief system. It led to them believing that this must be the son of God. This must be the son of God. Seeing suffering in the world should make you believe more in God. The question is, who's your refuge? What is your hiding place? You have to, to, to trust in God, believe in God, you know, have more faith in God. The event of Easter 
is the most important event in the history of the universe. Our faith should not be determined by the presence or the absence of suffering. Let me repeat this. Our faith as Christians should not be determined by the presence or the absence of sufferings. Because sufferings is as a result of sin, not God's hatred, not, no, not the absence of God. No, no. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said something which is very important. He said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Wow. I know this is a, this is a side of the, of the gospel that you are not, never told. That in this world, you'll have trials, you'll have sufferings, you'll have sorrows, you'll have pain in this world. And he continues to say, but take heart because I have overcome the world. It's in your Bible. Let me say this. It is possible you have misguided faith. And that's why you ask some of these questions that you ask. How can, how can a good God allow sufferings and pain? It's there in your own Bible. Jesus said it very clear that we'll have trials, we'll have suffering, we'll have pains, we'll have sorrow. It is there in your Bible. Everyone as a Christian, you should not even ask that question. If your faith is in the hope of a world without suffering, your faith is misplaced. If your faith is in, it's, it's in believing in a world without pain, your faith is misguided. We believe in him, whether there are sufferings or not, we still believe in God. Remember Job? He went through pain, he went through difficulties, but he still believed in God. Remember Zachariah? He, he believed in God, even when he did not get what he wanted. We talked about Paul, who suffered the most for Christ. But he still continued to spread the gospel. He still continued to believe in God because he understood that the presence of sufferings and pain does not mean the absence of God. Work without suffering is not our ultimate goal as Christians. The second coming of Jesus is our goal. The world is suffering and pain because of sin, not because of God. This world will never reach a state of freedom from suffering. They have evil hearts and they will continue to do bad things. People will continue to kill children, innocent kill children, innocent students. People will continue to be bad because of their evil hearts, because of sin, because of their sinful nature. They will continue to behave that way. The disciples believe. Because they saw Jesus suffer. They saw Jesus struggle. They saw Jesus beaten. They saw Jesus spat on. They saw Jesus nailed on the cross and even died and resurrected later. The presence of adversity, brothers and sisters, does not mean the absence of God. No matter how painful your situation is, all situations, including yours, are temporary. Are temporary. You have to continue believing in God no matter what you're going through. C.S. Lewis, he said something which is very touching. C.S. Lewis said, this is very important. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Let it sink. If I find in myself a desire 
which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Brothers and sisters, suffering and pain should serve as a reminder. Suffering and pain should serve as a reminder. It will remind us that this world is not our home. That is not where we belong. This world is not your home. This world is not my home. I do not belong here. You do not belong here. All of us, we are here temporarily. And every time you see pain, every time you see suffering, every time you see difficult time, please let me remind you in your spirit that this is not your home. This world is not your home. You are here temporarily. And we'll continue to see this suffering. We'll continue to see this pain as long as we are alive in this world. C.S. Lewis says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, if I'm never satisfied with anything that's happening in this world, it means there's nothing that's happening in this world that will ever satisfy me. Money will never satisfy me. Many cars will not satisfy me. Many women will not satisfy me. Many men will not satisfy me. I can have the riches of this world. Even the rich, I mean, the wisest man in this world, Solomon who ever lived. Nothing in this world will ever satisfy you. And here's the earth will lose says, if there's nothing that can satisfy all my desires, it will speak into my spirit. The only explanation that I have is I was made for another world. I was made for another world. And every time you see suffering, every time you see pain, every time you see wars and rumors of wars, it should always remind you that it means I'm not permanent in this world. I'm very temporary. I'm very temporary. I'm very temporary. And I should not expect peace in this world. Jesus says we can only find peace in him, not in this world. I remember at some point, Jesus was with his disciples and they had to cross over the Sea of Galilee. They had to go to the other side. And the Bible says Jesus was with them on the boat. He was with them on the boat, but still the storm came and harassed them. And the water wanted to get into them, into the boat that they were in. They were with Jesus, but still they had a storm. The presence of Jesus does not mean we will not have storms in our lives. Even with Jesus in our heart, even as Christians, we'll still go through stormy weather of our lives. We'll go through difficult times in our lives. Even with Jesus in our hearts, we'll still go through challenging situations in our lives. And it's not because Jesus is not with us. Jesus was with them, even when they went through the difficult time. Jesus was still with them, even when they went through the storms. And when Jesus stood, he said, peace be with you. You can have peace, even in the middle of your storm. I don't know what storm you're going through in your life right now. I don't know what challenges you're going through in your life right now. I don't know what pain you are going through in your life right now. I wish I could promise you something better. But as long as we are in this world, 
will always experience pain, suffering, challenges, and difficult times. That is the nature of life. That is the nature of life. It's part of life. It, it, it's a combo. It's part of life. Someone once de uh, described life or defined life as life is anything that happens between your birth and your death. Anything that happens between your birth and your death, that is life. Some of you are crying as I'm speaking. Some of you are going through difficult times. Some of you are in hospitals. You're suffering. But let me say this, life is anything that happens between your birth and your death. It's part of life. It's part of life. But I can say this to you. Please be like Job. Please be like Paul. Please be like the apostles. Be like Zachariah. Redirect your faith and still trust God even in your sufferings. Trust God even in your pain because our hope is in the new world. Our hope is in the coming of Christ. Don't lose your faith because of your suffering. Don't lose your faith because of your pain. We still believe in God even when you go through pain, even when you go through suffering. We still have faith in God because our faith is not based in the absence of pain our faith is not based in the absence of sufferings but our faith is based in Christ who is the author and the finisher of our faith it's based on Christ who died and arose Again, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith. No matter your situation, keep the faith. Your suffering is temporary. Your pain is temporary. One day, it will be part of your history. Every time you suffer, every time you go through pain, remember, it's a reminder that this world is not our home. Let's pray.